Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, I am happy to bring you an episode with Jessica Reinhardt. You actually might know her as Sugar Runs. Jessica has a thriving online business and blog and is just very active online but not nearly as active as she is as a runner so jessica just came off a fantastic marathon she dropped a 307 at eugene uh which was a pr for her and I'll tell you what, Jessica is doing what we all hope to do as runners. She is just continuing to get better and better and better. And and we talked about that process for her because, frankly, it isn't just all about the running. You know, she has a full-time job. She's growing a lot of things with her, her side gig business from a running and coaching perspective. And shoot, she's putting in huge mileage as well. So there's a lot of things to fit into a day, a week, a month, and a year. And she's been able to do it. So we talked a lot about balancing all of that and some of the things you have to give up on a day-to-day basis or even a weekly basis in order to make that happen. And when you see somebody continue to improve the way Jessica has, it really is inspiring at least for me, to say, shoot, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. So uh, I hope you like this episode with Jessica. I know I had a blast recording it. So let's get into the show. Hello, Jessica, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. Well, I'll tell you what, we had originally kind of contacted each other about coming on the show. You told me you were running Eugene, and I was following your blog and following you on Instagram, and boy, you seemed like you were uh, not too excited to run this race, Jessica, <laughs> that's for sure. I think you started 2018, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, but with like very high goals, and then this training kind of kept going and going, and then boy... Uh, that that week before the race blog post, it seemed like it was like it was almost felt like a um, like a diary or journal entry more than like a <laughs> blog post for the world. Yeah, I I definitely got really personal on that one, and um, I didn't really know what to expect going into the race, just given the way the training cycle went, and it ended up working out though. <laughs> Um, I, I guess that was good for me to, to play. Um, so yeah, I had a, I had a really rough time, um, with the training cycle and kind of, um, how I was feeling about the race and it was over, which is very weird for me. So, but yeah, it, it, it ended up being great. Um, I think I got a little overwhelmed by all the things I took on during the training cycle. And, um, yeah, it, it was a, a very, very interesting experience, to say the least. <laughs> right. Well, you were coming off a fantastic 2017. So you had you basically your three goals for a year, uh, for the year, um, is now becoming a theme. So you had 2017, you had three goals um, you went three for three, knocked him out of the park. You got your sub 315 um, New York City Marathon under your belt, uh, which was a PR. So for 2018, what were what were the three goals? Um, the first one was to do a sub three hour marathon, 
Um, the second was to take my coaching business full time. And the third was to become more flexible. And I have made zero progress on that last goal. The other two I've made some good progress on, but <laughs> that becoming more flexible is not happening. <laughs> well, that's it. I, I was reading that and I'm like, all right, does she, does she really want to be more flexible or does she just want three goals? She just like threw that last no. one. No. No, I totally do. I really feel like if I was a more flexible person and really committed myself to, you know, yoga and stretching, I would be a better runner. And sometimes you just don't have time for the things that really will make you a better runner. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I do want to do that, though. That's a good point. I was talking to Tyler Underwood a few months ago, um, and he ran, he ran, I think it was like 218 at CIM or around, around that time. And he was, you know, one heck of a runner. I think he just ran or just won the four-mile um, cross the Coronado Bridge race today. Wow, that's and awesome. And ran, I think he ran like a 4.56 last mile or something, something absolutely insane. Um, anyway, yeah. so we, I had him on the show. We were talking about this. And he said, hey, the, the, some of the people he talks to about running or coaches or just advises, he's like, hey, cut, cut the run 10 minutes short and do the ancillary stuff because it matters. And it's so funny because, like, I can like understand that like academically, but like I would never make that trade. Totally. <laughs> it's really hard to. And I, I definitely think as I've gotten into my thirties, um, that's become way more clear to me that those are the things that I need to do to keep running healthy. And, but really I do want to take up yoga like as a serious practice and like actually do it for like an hour a day. I just don't have the time. An right hour now, a day. Unfortunately. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not just for, I think, like, mental, like, you know, meditation purposes, but also just for, you know, I think running kind of, you know, it shortens your muscles and, and makes them tighter, and yoga just extends them. So I think those should kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> I should really practice what I preach, though, probably. There you go. That's right, Coach. You need to step up, you know, <laughs> you know listen to your own advice. Well, I mean, that's that brings up a good point, too, because you have – you know, how you, how you fit it all in is always a huge issue. Like you just mentioned your 2018 goals and, you know, dropping 15 minutes off a of marathon time for someone who's at your level is a huge accomplishment, right? If you can do that, you know, and, and obviously you, you took a, a big first step at Eugene Marathon. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, but then, you know, stepping up your coaching business full time, which means like, all right, you're going to increase your mileage, I would assume, or at least increase mm -hmm. your time you spend on running if you want to like if you want to break sub three and then you want to increase the time that you spend on your coaching not only with the athletes that you have now but bringing in more athletes and then you also have a full time job. Yeah, it's it's a lot, and I think that's where I got a little overly ambitious about those goals because I I know with each training cycle as I've gotten faster you the training always increases. There's more things you have to do. Um, there's more miles you have to run. The workouts are harder. And uh, obviously I knew that mentally going in. I didn't think that it would be this difficult um, to balance all those things. Um, but it's always good to have, you know, big dreams and high goals. And sometimes you just got to push them back a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, you took a big first step, that's for sure. And during this training cycle, what were some of the things that were – 
um, the biggest issues for you uh, in terms of just getting the stuff done that you wanted to get done in order to prepare yourself for the marathon? Uh, and I should I should bring up here that you're, you've kind of adapted your schedule now to you kind of run the, the two marathons per year where in the past you've done you had done a few more per year where you kind of know more on the now the spring slash fall marathon schedule. Yeah, and I think that was probably the best thing I ever did for myself. I took up marathons um, when I was 29, so I was a little bit late in the game, um, which is it's not too late ever because, I mean, there are women who are almost 50 qualifying for the Olympic trials, so um, age is really just a number. But it was kind of late in – Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it was kind of late in the game in my mind, um, and I wasn't a super experienced runner when I took them up – And so, you know, as soon as I ran my first one, I got kind of addicted and then you get, you know, obsessed with qualifying for Boston. And, um, I thought that I could just run as many as I wanted to. Um, so I ended up running, I think it was like four, um, or five in the first year that I had done marathons, which is just insane. Um, my body could not recover at all. And I got stuck kind of at that 326. How how many years ago was that? That was in 2015. Um, So three years ago, yeah. Um, And I finally realized if I wanted to run at a faster, kind of in my mind, like an elite level, I needed to treat my body like an elite athlete. And that, you know, for an amateur runner, there are only so many things you can do, right? Because you have to work and you have other obligations, whereas elite athletes have nutritionists and people on staff all the time to, you know – physical therapists that, you know, help them to be the athletes that they can be. They get to take naps in the middle of the day. We can't really do that. Um, but to kind of limit the amount of racing and damage that I do to my body so that I can recover and really run to my full potential. Um, and that translated into two marathons a year. So that's worked out. Since and then. You, came, you came into this with a soccer background, right? I know you, you were, you're a very <laughs> active soccer player. Did you play in college as well? Um, I played club in college. It wasn't really a super competitive league, but we practiced a couple times a week. Uh, so it was a little bit more serious than intramural, I would say. But yeah, especially, yeah. I mean, you know, club, college club athletics. I think most people don't know what that even means because it's yeah. kind of like no one goes to club athletic games. So either you're like either, yeah. you're either on a team or you have no idea what one is. Um, right. And yeah, but you're right. Like there's plenty of club teams that are very um just very legit especially over here in the north there are certain sports um that are predominantly club but almost practice and play at a varsity level like men's volleyball in the northeast is one of those sports there's a ton of d3 and ivy league teams that are club but for all intents and purposes like practice like a varsity schedule yeah yeah and that's kind of what we were doing so yeah it was it was a good way to keep doing something after I got out of, you know, high school and, uh, I went to a D one soccer school, so I wasn't that good. (laughs) But you must've coming from soccer. Do you feel like you had more of, um, more of a, uh, a fast twitch background or slow twitch background when you got into running? Like if you, I guess we put it in perspective, if you were like, when you started running seriously, do you feel like you overachieved on like runs or more on like the track interval stuff? I 
did way better at the long distance stuff, which I think was kind of weird. Oh, because wow. I, I did was, not expect you to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I actually tried to play indoor soccer a couple years after I took up running and I was like, wow, this is really hard and I'm super out of shape, but I had just run a half marathon like the weekend before and it was just completely different. So I think maybe I've always been an endurance person and, and soccer just ended up working out for me at the time. Right. Well, I, I went to a high school that had a ton of division one soccer players there. Um, I remember it was like, I think it was when I, my freshman year. If you took, just a snapshot of everyone who was currently playing either JV, freshman, or varsity soccer at my high school. There was 14 kids that ended up playing D1. And, like, so I got to see a lot of these kids in the summer while they were in college, and they were running so much. They were running, like, yeah. you know, between six and eight miles a day in the heat of the summer as part of their running background. And this and this wasn't – they were killing, they weren't killing themselves either. It was definitely like a – you know, they're probably running in the gray zone. It probably wasn't easy running, but they weren't like, you know, out there, like, you know, huffing and puffing the whole time. So I could definitely see yeah. it giving you the endurance as well as, as some of the fast foot stuff. Yeah. And I, I remember doing all those, you know, during the summer camps that we did doing tons of runs and I actually hated that part of soccer camps. So. Of course. <laughs> now of that's course. what you I love to the do. Part. That makes all, so much sense. <laughs> So, so then what was the, like, like, I know like awkward pause there. So what was the difference after you finished soccer where like all of a sudden the running part, um, you know, went from like, Hey, this is the part that I don't quite enjoy as much to like, Hey, I'm going to like not only get into it, but like try to dedicate my personal and professional life to it. It was kind of strange because I did not really look at running as, something I like to do at all. It was kind of something I just did to stay in shape after I finished playing soccer and I would run my little three miles on the treadmill, um, every day at the gym and do some weights and, and that was it. And one of my friends said that she had signed up for a half marathon and I thought, I think I'm going to do that. And so I signed up and I, I got a plan online and I just followed the mileage and I had no GPS watch. I wore old soccer clothes and I loved every minute of it. I just loved like following a plan and having some structure and it felt really good because I felt kind of lost after not having soccer in my life, not being on a team sport, not really knowing what to do. And I, I was always, um, I just missed the athletic part of that. And it was it kind of filled that void. So I loved it. And then I just started running them all the time. <laughs> how did it, um, how did not having teammates affect you? Cause you'd, you'd kind of grown up in a team sport atmosphere. Yeah. That's actually been a little strange for me because that's kind of what I love so much about running is not having to show up at a certain time or, uh, be, uh, I I'm actually really a lonely runner. I, I, I primarily do all of my training by myself. Um, I don't, I don't usually run with people. So it's been kind of a nice way to be alone, I guess, with my own thoughts. That's when I do a lot of my thinking about, you know, anything I have to plan or anything that's kind of going on with me emotionally. I, I use my runs to, to balance that, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's that. That was kind of an easy transition for me, I guess. Uh, 
to not be, I guess, accountable to somebody else or being let, letting somebody else down. I felt like I was only responsible to myself, which I think has been, uh, I think I, I'm pretty hard on myself as a runner too. So I get kind of down on myself, but it's, it's better than, you know, letting other people down. I'm kind of just letting myself down. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I feel like that's kind it, of. It, it definitely does. Uh, <laughs> especially if you're, if you, if you've had that negativity associated with running with someone else, if it like, if that brings you down, then like, you know, that's, you know, that can definitely like trip somebody up, especially if they feel like they're like, you know, like affecting someone else's ability to run. I feel like that's worse sometimes than like having your own tough totally. time. Yeah. And then I think, um, you know, I get, I, I definitely get nervous about running with people that are faster than me too. So, which is, terrible because I think that's what makes you faster is when you run with people that are faster than you during your workouts and stuff. So I, I hope maybe that'll be my goal for 2019 is to get over that and start running with people who are really fast and get over my fear of running with other people. <laughs> well, it's funny cause I, I almost always run alone. I mean, the only person I've run with in like the last six months was uh, actually a guy who's been on this show before, uh, Maurice Lohman, Maurice the Marathon Panda. Oh, um, yes, I love Maurice. So, as do I. <laughs> he's so, so awesome. He's a, he's a fellow Rhode Islander. We've run together um, for you know a couple long runs, but and he's a great guy. But I, before I had kids, I did run with a Ronald McDonald House Running Club here in the Providence area, which was fantastic. So basically I would run my, um, occasionally the weekend long runs, but not that often. It was more of during the week, a track workout, either Monday mornings or Wednesday afternoons, but almost always Monday mornings before work. And it was so unique for me because I didn't, it really was so nice doing a track workout with other people because you couldn't, you know, they weren't basing their workout on you. You know what I mean? So you see you run 800, 600 or, you know, what, you know, a thousand meter rep or whatever. Right. So you're, you're, you're kind of huddled in your group, but there'd be like 40, 50 people on the track at all different levels. So it was really accommodating. Mm-hmm. And like the, the coach was the, uh, there was several coaches there, but the coach that I put that I, mo- that I worked with most of the time was the former varsity cross round. And it was like hysterical that he was like working with someone like me who was like, you know, a million times worse than the other people he was potentially coaching. Um, and, but it was one of those things where I feel the same way as you with like long runs or tempo runs, you know, it's, it's hard to get like that perfect match on those runs, but with the track workout, yeah. it was so nice to have other people on the track because I'd love to hear your kind of your ability to get through this. But for me, it's so easy to rationalize not quite hitting my track workouts the way I'm supposed to if I'm not running with somebody else, and especially if I'm not being coached by somebody who's going to, like, review my chart for the week or whatever. Yeah, I I agree that I have a coach as well, and I think that that's probably the number one thing that pushes me through those workouts is knowing that somebody's going to see my data. Um, it's like a so total, yeah, it's I, like I, it I shames you. It like shames you into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, but it's good in a good way. It's, it's definitely a good way. Cause I, I think I probably would have walked away from a lot of workouts if I didn't know somebody was looking. <laughs> so what, what's, what are your like mental, you know, your, either your mental mantras or the things that you lean on when those workouts, so you're alone on the track 
and a workout isn't quite going the way you want it to. Either you're not hitting the times you want or, like, you're hitting the times, but it feels so much harder than it should or you're starting to, like, wear down earlier than you thought you would. What is your mental monologue like and how do you get past those moments? I usually try to focus on whatever interval I'm in. So if I'm doing 800s, I will, and I have eight of them or however many, if I'm on number six, I just tell myself, okay, just get through this one and you have some time to recover. So, you know, if it's three minute intervals, I just try to get through the three minutes and I look for the recovery and then I just kind of enjoy that. And then I, I'm, I think I just try to stay where I'm at in the workout and not really worry about what's left or what I have done that maybe wasn't that great. Uh, so I just try to, and it's kind of like run the mile you're in, uh, which I think is very difficult to train yourself to do. And I think when I first started doing speed workouts and it wasn't, you know, I was 10 seconds slower than where I was supposed to be, I would stop the workout. And now if I'm slower, there's probably a reason I can tell myself, okay, well, I'm not hydrated or I didn't get good sleep last night or my legs are still feeling fatigued from my long run. So that's probably why I can't hit these paces. So, and it's not to make excuses. It's just to help myself continue to stay in the workout and not walk away from it. Cause I think it's, and I definitely think there's a point where maybe you should walk away from a workout, but I think it has kept me in workouts that were hard and built my mental strength that way. See, that is a great point. It's actually something that I had talked to my previous coach about um, a lot was that I was going through a spell in the fall where like my workouts, I felt like every third one just wasn't going right. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I just, well, I was never quite sure what to do in the moment because in, in part, because they're all so different from each other and there's always a little bit different context, right? There's not like these workouts aren't done in a vacuum. There's things that have preceded them in the weeks leading up or even the day before. And I would be out there and I'd be like, Oh man, like I just can't hit this time. Like what is going on with me? Or like all of a sudden I'm like, man, my legs are hollow. Like I just can't, I, I can't finish this rep. This is crazy. And I was always juggling, like, all right, does that mean I should walk off the track now and, like, save myself for the rest of the week? Or does that mean that, like, I should just buckle down and be like, you know, whatever the times are, the times are. I'm just going to finish the workout and try to stay with the intent of the workout. And I was oh, I was never quite sure what to do. Yeah, I always say to stay with the workout unless you're hurt. And I think that more than anything – I don't think I've quit on a workout in um, maybe a, a year. Wow. And it's it's been, yeah, you know, I, I had a 22-mile long run for Eugene that I probably stopped seven times on that run. Paused my watch, talked myself into, why don't I just go home? This is going terribly. And I never went home. I just kept running. I finished the run. It was terrible. It was the most defeating run I've ever been on. But I didn't walk away. And that's I think when you build the mental strength that gets you through racing. Now, were you close to home? Was it out and back run or were like, or could have you just like walked it back, like walked back to your house? Yeah, I, I run the beach path in front of my house and it's to get 22 miles. You kind of have to be creative with it. So I'm never more than about five miles from my house. See, that takes a lot of mental strength, right? So you could yeah. easily just be like, all right, I'm, you know, what, what does Eric Carmen say? He's like, screw you guys. I'm going home. Like, yeah. It's like, I feel like that'd be going through my head the whole time. Totally. Yeah. It does a lot. So, um, that makes it more challenging for sure. 
<laughs> I can imagine. All right. So what was the most challenging part of your buildup? Um, not part. It can be parts uh, of your buildup to Eugene. So my first 20 miler that I did was probably six or seven weeks before race day. And so that was what, two weeks after you ran the half marathon? I think it was actually the weekend after I ran that okay. half marathon. And that half marathon definitely humbled me because it had a huge hill, but I still was proud of my time um, given that. So I, I still felt pretty strong. And I, I did my 20 miler the next weekend and I felt amazing. It was like no issues pushing pace and I felt great. And I took all my gels and, um, you know, everything kind of flowed. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a great training cycle. I'm going to, I'm going to crush this stuff. And, uh, as literally the next speed work I had two days later, I got annihilated and I felt terrible and I still pushed through it, but the paces never came to me again. Like they did in that 20 miler, uh, every long run I struggled through. Um, it was just, everything felt challenging after that. So interesting. I guess the whole, the last six weeks of the training <laughs> was, was pretty tough. You feel like the part of the reason that your training, uh, was negatively affected after that was because you never fully recovered from the back to back weekends of a racing half marathon and then like a blockbuster 20 mile run. No, I usually when I race in a training cycle, I use the race as a long run workout. So the 20 miler the following weekend was supposed to just be an easier, uh, long run. So there was no specific pace I was supposed to hit. And I did that after that half marathon, that entire week was easy running. So that usually gives me enough time to recover. And so the, the, usually when I do races, they're kind of strategically placed in the training cycle to give me time to recover. Um, but to also kind of test my fitness, I guess. Okay. Does that so, answer the question? Sorry. You know, it does because it basically leads to like another question of like, all right, so it wasn't your physical recovery from the running, right? So you had the easy runs, you'd built in your schedule, you'd done this before, you knew how to kind of get out of that race, um, you know, in, in a good spot and to race that race in a way that you weren't going to like completely like empty yourself for, for the next month. So with that being said, do you feel like you got enough recovery from the other areas of your life? Like, do you feel like your sleep was okay? You know, you obviously have a full-time job and you have a part-time job and you have a running program, which is, you know, basically, what you, did you get to 70 miles a week? I did. Yeah. And so do you feel like you, you feel like you're I, able to recover from all that stuff? I think that the, I think the growth in my coaching business and, the spring is a little bit of a busier time of year for me at my full-time job. And I think that all kind of led to a lack of sleep and I think a general lack of focus on those supplementary like recovery things that you should be doing, like stretching and foam rolling and primarily sleeping that I wasn't getting enough of after that. So I think that was probably where it went a little south. Right. Now, when I don't get enough sleep, the first thing 
that like is like the telltale sign. So say someone say someone were to walk into my house and like stay with us for a month, and like they never knew exactly how long I slept. The obvious, the obvious like uh, indicator for that person would be if they like saw me like picking out at, like 9:30 p.m. It was like <laughs> it's like I have like lose if I don't have enough sleep. I completely lose food willpower yeah. throughout the day. Yeah. So do you have, do you have one of those ticks if you don't get enough sleep? Yeah. I, I think that I, I also do the same thing. I'm not as, as careful about my meal planning or my nutrition. And I, I definitely ate a lot of chocolate this last training cycle. <laughs> um, and a lot of things I, I probably wouldn't normally eat as much during training and I think that that was definitely something I'm sure my fiance has other things that I did all training cycle that wore him out because I was a little bit crazy with my lack of sleep. <laughs> now, when you're sleeping well, what, what what's the normal like sleep time for you? I would say when I'm in that kind of level of training, optimally, I would get nine hours of sleep. And Whoa. Yeah. I, nice. Yeah. But I don't think that I've gotten nine hours of sleep during a training cycle for like two years. <laughs> but you've improved nonetheless. So, um, so if you don't get, if you can't get nine, is there a minimum that you need to stay above for the most part? Yeah, to stay functional, I would say I definitely need seven. Got it. All right. And when do you do your runs? What time of day? I usually do my runs after work so in the evening which makes them a little bit more challenging and I would say I always take that into account when I'm having a hard speed workout in the middle of the week that I have a couple days of work under my belt and I'm a little bit more tired when I start the speed workout Um, but I always had a challenge getting my legs to go faster in the morning I think it takes a while for my legs to wake up if I do run in the morning. So I like my long runs when I do them on the weekend, I'll do them in the morning and, and they, you know, I, I take like at least an hour after I get up to actually go outside and do it. <laughs> right. That's a good point. And I, I feel the same way about my runs. Um, but when you, so when you have your afternoon track workouts, is it like as soon as you get home from work, you, you make it happen or is it like after dinner? The reason I ask is, how do you work your, nu- your nutrition into the schedule to make sure that you're properly fueled for that track workout and that you're not, like, getting lightheaded in the middle of it? So I, I think that over the last probably three training cycles, the nutrition thing has been a big game changer for me, I would say, in the sense that I – I stay on a schedule, you know, I go really carb heavy in the morning, uh, more of my fruit stuff and fiber in the morning. And then I do my a lighter lunch and a good afternoon snack that has something that is, you know, a, a balance of carbs and a little bit of protein. So usually like apples um, with a handful of almonds or something. And that usually gets me through where I don't have anything that's going to upset my stomach, but I don't feel super heavy. Um, but I don't feel like I'm starving either. So I think I, I stay pretty consistent in the times and what I eat during the day. Uh, just because I've figured out what makes me function. (laughs) 
Now, have you felt that there's been any connection, if you have, like, a stressful or tough day at work with a negative um, or maybe not the suboptimal, I use a better word, a suboptimal uh, track workout um, after that day of work? And the reason I bring that up is I read the book by Alex Hutchinson, Endure, and he touches a lot on this topic of basically the mental fatigue affecting the physical performance. Yes, Um I actually haven't read that book. I really do want to. So uh, you've intrigued me even more to add that to my list. Uh, but I completely agree with that, that I think by Friday, my brain is so fried that I can't, um, that, that Friday is probably my hardest day to run. Um, but definitely, like if I have a tough day or like a long day of meetings, I feel super worn out and Running is kind of the last thing I want to do, but it's on the schedule, so I get it done. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with that for sure. All right, so you so you write this blog post prior to the Eugene Marathon, basically saying like, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I need to change everything about my yeah. training because this did not go well. So, that's obviously not the optimum mental space for someone who's about to run a marathon. So what did you do in the week leading up to the marathon to get yourself ready to perform at your best? So I had actually started reading. um, Well, I guess I I had finished How Bad Do You Want It? uh, Matt Fitzgerald's book during New York training. And I, I kind of revisited some of that book, but I also took some of the things that I tell my athletes to do all the time, which is visualization. So I really just kind of visualized, I guess, myself having a strong race and finishing and how I would feel at the end and how happy I would be that it was over. And I did that pretty much for like the three days leading up to it. I found like some quiet time when I was alone before the race and I spent a lot of time doing that. I also I am such a proponent of positive self-talk. When you change the way that you talk to yourself, it completely changes your workouts, your races, your runs. I think um, sometimes, and I I think every runner struggles with this, but you you have doubts that you can't do what you want to do. And I think when you tell yourself you can do it, you have a way better chance of than when you tell yourself you can't do it. Uh, So I told myself I was going to go out and run a 305 and I, <laughs> I ran a 307, but, um, I told myself that I was strong enough to run the paces that I wanted to. I, um, so I think more than anything, it was just changing my mental attitude. And for the six or seven weeks prior to the race, it had been very negative that I didn't want to do this. I, why did I set such a, a high goal for myself? And I just kind of did a 180 and was like, no, I have to do this race. I'm not going to, you know, half-ass a marathon because it's 26.2 miles and that would be miserable. So let's just try and get it done as fast as we can and have some positivity in it. So I think I just changed things for myself uh, mentally uh, that week. Now, have you had bad experiences with negative self-talk? Did you come Did you come at this idea of positive self-talk because you'd kind of felt the effects of the opposite? Yes. Um, when I was training for Chicago in 2016, I had probably the worst training cycle ever. 
I walked away from so many long runs. I think I maybe did one 20 miler and the entire time I just told myself, I'm not good enough to do this. Why do I keep doing this? I'm not getting any better. Um, it was terrible. And I, the day of the race, I walked up to the start line and I said, I'm going to, I walked up to the pacers, the 320 pacers. And I was like, I'm going to run a 320 today. And that like, just telling myself that I was going to do it. I, I did it. And I said, okay, I'm going to start doing that for myself every single time that I have this problem where I, you know, talk myself down. And it's been working for me for the last three, three training cycles. I've had great training cycles, except for the last seven weeks of Eugene training, <laughs> I guess. Um, so I think changing the way I talk to myself has, has helped a lot. And it's made it a lot more enjoyable because, you know, you don't want to be talking down to yourself all the time. It doesn't make it very fun. Right. But part of it's all chicken and egg for some people too, unless they can get like kind of like get themselves out of that rut. Um, you know, cause you had the idea of like, all right, well I ran poorly. So yeah, I feel negative. Like I can't, I can't fake it. And then like, all right, no, I feel negative. So I run poorly again, but again, I'm going to like, I need to be real with myself. I feel like there are times I'm not going to like put this on like these, like, you know, random other people that I'm referring to. I can say very confidently that I know I've done that in the past. Um, it got through this, like this negative cycle of like, all right, it's not going well. So then I'm down on myself, which probably makes it not go well again. Right. And I also think that changing the way I look at race day has helped a lot too. I think, a lot of times if you take the negative of training into race day, it can really, it obviously has huge effects on your training. There's tons of books about, you know, how your mental attitude affects how you perform. And I think I have worked really hard to take pressure off of race day, which is why, you know, when I race during a training cycle, I really just look at it as a way to test my efforts or I look at it as a workout for my larger goal in my marathon. And Usually by the time I walk up to my marathon, I, I think, well, I did all this training and I showed up for every workout and now let's just see what happens and hopefully it works out. But otherwise, I am happy that I put in all this effort. And so I think just trying to be happy about it and not look back on the bad parts of training or things that didn't go well um, has, has changed my, I guess, race day mentality. So going into the Eugene Marathon, what made you hone in on 305? Because obviously, like, you kind of are balancing two things. You're balancing the fact that the past six weeks hadn't gone according to plan with the idea of, like, you want to have this positivity attached to your mental state. So you want to kind of, like, not shoot for the moon, but kind of shoot for a stretch goal. So how did you decide on 305? Uh, so after the half marathon, I had – uh, talked to my coach actually after that first 20 miler that I had, that was really great. I talked to my, and who, and who is your, who is your coach? Uh, my coach is Tia Aceta. She is, uh, she actually has a workout group and run club in, uh, called run Tucson and they're on Instagram at run Tucson and she primarily coaches in person. So I'm one of her, uh, online athletes and her husband is Randy Aceta and he runs the RCA program. So I took his class and he actually set me up with Tia. 
There you go. Yeah. All right. So you're so you're talking with Tia about the race. Yes. So we were talking uh, about my recent twenty miler that had actually gone well, and I she basically said, okay, so we can do a couple things. We can train you for a three ten, or we can train you for a three oh five. And I I have always taken the safer way side of going for a five minute PR in all of my marathons previously. So I thought, you know what, I just want to go for a bigger, a bigger time. So let's go for a 305. Let's train for it for the next six weeks and see how it goes. And then we can decide if it goes well, I'll go for a 305 on race day. If it doesn't, I'll go for a 310. And it didn't go well, (laughs) but, uh, race day came along and usually what I do on race day is I try to run with a pace group. I feel like it's the easiest way for me to check out of being obsessed with my watch and what my splits are. And I kind of give the reins over to somebody else and I get to run with them and they can just guide me through the race. And Eugene did not have a uh, faster pacer than a 315 uh, on their website. So uh, two weeks before I said, okay, I'm running this by myself. So I guess I'll just go for the 305. And they ended up having a 305 pacer that showed up, um, that morning. So I ended up being able to run with their pacer and that kind of saved me. But, and it was, so it was kind of a struggle too, because I, I think our initial plan was that I would, before we knew that, or yeah, before we knew they didn't have a faster pacer than 315, I think my plan was to go out with the 310 pacer and then kind of work my way down to the 305 pace group um, to try to negative split the marathon. But that didn't work out. So. And then in this race, it sounds like you had like this kind of like back and forth relationship with the pace group. Now, is that something you've done in the past as well, where like you don't necessarily stick with them the whole way? You just kind of like stay with them in the beginning and then kind of go by how you feel? No, actually, uh, this was one of the times where I, I left them pretty early on. And this was, this was also the smallest race I've run. The last three races I've done have been huge. So you're never really alone. Um, but this race was smaller. So once I kind of broke off from the pace group and went a little faster, I realized I was with three other guys who were kind of running similar to what I was running. So I said, okay, I'm just going to try and stay with these guys. So they became my new pace group for a while. Got it. Are you a chatty runner during a marathon? Are you, are you like engaging in conversation with those people or is it more of a, a solitary endeavor? Yeah. I usually listen to people cause hopefully I'm running a pace that I, I can't talk at. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I, I usually listen to what other people are talking about. Uh, so I don't, I don't usually talk to people. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, so, so you're quiet, but not introverted. Yeah, you're like very, you're kind of very, very external with your senses, but but kind of keep your uh, yes, keep yourself talk to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. All right. So, like any marathon, you're going to hit challenges. You're going to hit points where you know you start to doubt yourself. So, when was the first time in this race where? Um, you start to wonder, okay, what's going on here? Are the wheels are the wheels coming off, or is this just a problem spot? Uh, it actually happened pretty early on. Uh, I had to go to the bathroom, and once I start thinking that I have to use the restroom at all, I have to go. And it was pretty early on. It was around mile five where I said, okay, I should probably find a porta potty. And 
I found one at mile eight. And Eugene is known for being a flat, fast race. So I see the porta potty. I run ahead of the pace group. I go in. I'm out. I'm in and out in like less than 10 seconds. And I come out and the pace group is pretty far ahead of me. And I sprint up there and I'm doing probably like a 550 pace. And I could feel the lactic acid coming into my legs. And I said, oh, my gosh, I have totally ruined myself right now. And not only that, but as soon as I catch up to the pace group, we start going up this hill. It's like the only hill in the race. And it's my legs are just like dead. And I felt like it like I could have probably done better if I didn't do that. (laughs) So that that kind of wore wore on me through mile 18. Uh, My legs felt not not as good as they should have been. Was there ever a point? during that where you were like, if one of my athletes told me that they did this, I would be like, tisk, tisk, tisk. How could you do that? No, never. I actually, um, <laughs> I, I always think about that. Cause I'm like, Oh, Tia would probably be so mad at me if she knew that I did right now. But you know, racing is like, you just, I, I don't know. I, I feel, you know, and I didn't negative split the marathon either. And that was kind of, one of the main things that we talked about that my goal was, but I think that overall I hit my goal. So I think that I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. I I can't get down on myself for, for, you know, maybe I could have gone two minutes faster if I didn't go to the bathroom and I didn't sprint at that point. But I think that's kind of wasted energy and thoughts. Well, I mean, if you have to go to the bathroom at mile five, it's safe to say that at some point it was going to come out. Totally. So it's not like you're going to be able to hold it for the next 21.2 miles. Right. And, I, um, like, you don't want to stop at mile 20 when you're, like, they're already dead. <laughs> yes, that's a great point. Speaking of that, so around mile 18, your leg started to uh, – you, you started feeling a little bit in your quad? Yeah. So I – I, I knew I was going to see my family at mile 18, and then I thought I wasn't going to see them at all until the finish. And I, by mile 16, I was thinking, I cannot wait to see them. I really need to see them. I needed, like, some support. And I saw them, and they got me, like, super excited, and I was – I uh, ended up kind of pushing the pace right there. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible. I feel so terrible after I saw them. And it was funny because I. So so what about what about your body felt terrible? Just specifically. Um, my legs and I could tell this was where my mile eight was catching up to me. My the inside of my, I, I guess it's like right above my knee. Um, that part of my quads gets really really sore, and I could tell it was probably because I was not my glutes weren't really activated. I didn't have a lot of time to do the appropriate warm up that I would normally do before the race. And I could tell that was kind of, I was pulling too much with my quads and not pushing off enough and using my glutes. Um, and that, that happened a lot earlier than it normally that happens for me around mile 24 and it happened at mile 18. So it was a little bit frustrating for sure. So do you have a go-to way of solving that problem or do you just kind of like hope and pray that it doesn't get worse? During the race? No. Yeah. I just hope and pray that my legs won't cramp up and, and they will survive. And they did, they did this time. <laughs> it's funny. Cause like sometimes in those instances, it's like, all right, I need to slow down. I need to like, you know, let my body kind of recover here. And other times it's almost like speeding up can loosen you up because it just kind of extends the muscles. 
Right. Yeah. And I knew if I slowed down and tried to do anything to open it up or, you know, like push it out that it would have, I would have not started again. I would have never found my pace again. Now, were you running alone at this point or do you still have the, those guys with you? I was alone at this point. They had, I think one of them had fallen off and two of them had gotten way faster than me. So they were, they were ahead and I tried to keep them in my sights. But I, I think I lost them around mile 21. So you you just mentioned how you normally do bigger marathons. And obviously in the big marathons of the New York Cities, the Bostons, you have this constant crowd support. Eugene isn't necessarily like that. Um, so what was your, your inner monologue, you know, during the, this, this mile, you know, say, from, say from 19 to mile 22 or 23? What, what were you focusing on or what were you trying – to distance from your mind at that point? I spent a lot of time thinking about how I just wanted to see my family and I wanted it to be over. And that was uh, helpful because there were, at that point, there are not a lot of people on the course at all. Um, there's not a ton of crowd support there. We're all on, uh, we're on the river. So there's not really places for people to come in and cheer for us. And there's, you know, you'll see one runner in front of you or you maybe pass somebody, but there's not a lot of runners at all. So it was very much like just get to the finish so that you can, this can be over, like, so you can see your family. And, um, so I really talked to myself a lot about just keep pushing, um, just get it done. Like after this, you can relax, you can drink the wine that you want to drink. You can eat all the candy that you want to eat. I try to tell myself that I'll get whatever reward I've been looking forward to at the end of my training cycle. <laughs> and what was it like running into Hayward field at the end of that race? It was amazing. It was so, so epic. Um, you, there were tons of people there cheering. You felt like you were a famous track star. It was, it was an amazing finish for sure. It was awesome. Now, obviously, you're extremely tired. It's the end of a marathon. But do, do you hearken back to, like, the people from Oregon that you knew as runners, like whether it's the Steve Prefontaine's of the world or, like, the litany of other excellent runners that have come through that program? Totally. I kept thinking, like, this is where the Olympic trials were. This is where Prefontaine was. Like, it was, it was really, like, amazing going in there, even though I felt dead. I was thinking that, like, this is such an epic finish. I'm so happy I did this race. <laughs> Now, had you seen Hayward Field before that finish? Yeah, we went the day before to check it out, and we checked out the whole campus, and it was beautiful. Um, and I think they're actually redoing the whole stadium in 2018 or 2019. I think they have to for the World Championships. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be um, even more beautiful. So did it look like it looks in the movies? I mean, there it's in so many running movies, I feel like. I know. No, it didn't. It it looked a little bit different. I don't know how to explain it. And we went, it wasn't open when we went. So there was, you know, nobody was there and it was closed. We couldn't actually get inside, but um, it still just felt really cool to be there. So, but yeah, it kind of, I don't know, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it sounds cool. It's, it, I love, there's a picture on your Instagram of you kind of entering, um, entering Hayward Field. They actually the sign. Whoever took the picture, like, framed it perfectly. It's like the Hayward Field sign is above you, and you're about to take a right onto the track. You're kind of, like, going through the gate yeah. into, the, into the arena. Um, 
And I'm just like, oh, that picture. My goodness, <laughs> it is so good. Um, you know, and like I hate the on-track finishes, but I feel like I would have, I would do that one any day. Totally. I was actually thinking the same thing. Like, that's going to be so weird to finish on a track, but it was, it was really epic for sure. Oh, that is wonderful. All right. So how did this race change how you're going to prepare for the rest of the year? You have big goals, not just this year, but for your whole running future. What would about this race slash buildup, um, I guess just what, what did you learn from it and what do you take from it? Um, it was definitely, I wish my training cycle had been a little bit longer so that I could build more mileage in, um, I felt like the, we kind of got some solid weeks in there, but not, I would have liked to have a few more 70 mile weeks because that week tore me up, but I would have liked to have a couple more of them. Uh, so I think I, I like for my next training cycle to have a longer buildup. And I'm getting married at the end of this year, so I actually am not going to be running any more marathons so that I can plan for a wedding because I know that if I want to do a sub three, I have to do even more than I just did. And I, I don't think it's physically possible for me right now. And that makes me so sad to say, but um, I, I think the priority of getting married and and working on my coaching business, um, and realizing that that was something that was really important to me too. Um, you know, I, I think focusing on other distances right now is going to be a good thing for me to, to come back more hungry to get that sub three, um, and to get a PR at my, at the next marathon that I do. And it, it actually helped me in the race to know that that was going to be my last marathon of the year to really fight for, the finish, even though I didn't feel like I had had the best training cycle, I knew it was going to be my, my last shot to really go for a good PR. And I wanted to go out strong. There you go. Well, first of all, congratulations. I'm excited for you. I hope everything goes well with the, the planning and everything. Obviously, um, traditionally a lot of it falls on the yes. future bride. So <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't envy you there. Um, so I hope it goes well uh, with, with, with all that. Um, and with all of that being said, you know, you, you've done so many marathons in the past few years. So, and I usually ask this question as part of the, as part of the, um, the finishing streak of questions that I'd like to ask, but is there a certain marathon that after, so 2019 or 20 that you're really looking forward to that you really want to be a part of? Um, I really, my goal was to actually do CIM this year in December. So I've, I've obviously pushed that back. So I'm really looking forward to doing that race in 2019. And I put my name in the hat for the London marathon, but I don't really think that's going to happen. I heard there's a record number again this year. Yeah. yeah. You and everybody uh, else. So <laughs> I don't think I'll have a shot there, but I would actually, I loved Eugene. Um, I thought it was really well organized and put together. And I, I really did enjoy running a smaller race. Um, so I might do that one again. Um, but it, it did also make me appreciate the bigger races. And I mean, I'd love to go back and do Chicago, um, or New York again. And I definitely have my eyes set on the Marine Corps marathon. So that one maybe in 2020. So long way ahead. I so know many, there's so, so many, many marathons to do. 
All right. So, so before we get into our final string of questions here, kind of like the, the quick ones, the okay. strides, I should say. Um, if someone wants to follow you online, what's the best way for them to, uh, to do So that? I'm on Instagram at Sugar Runs. Um, and then I'm also on Facebook at Sugar Runs. And you can read my so is that for sugar, is that, is that sugar and then run? So two R's back yeah, to back? Yeah, so S-U-G-A-R-R-U-N-S for both okay. Facebook and Insta. And then my blog website is sugarruns.com. Right. And then you got a little, you have a coaching business. So if anyone wants to reach out to you for that, your, you blog, and you, you basically did like your weekly recaps uh, for Eugene, which was, it was very interesting. Um, and then you also have a little shopping site on there. So you, you see like a full service operation. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So final string of questions. If you're out on a run, uh, are you going headphones or no headphones? I don't ever listen to music. <laughs> so no headphones. No headphones. Yeah. All right. So, so what is the best advice that you give your clients about running but that you have trouble following? Uh, the warm-up stuff. I'm such a bad oh. person at warming up. <laughs> well, you've been awake the whole day already. I know. So I think maybe my legs are already a little bit warmed up, but I should probably still do that stuff. <laughs> All right. So who? So you you have a kind of a, a motivating – background but like you've improved kind of, like, kind of like year after year you know from 2015 to like dropping a 307 you know three years later in the marathon um it really is inspiring and motivating so who motivates you as a runner oh that's so tough there's so many i mean aside from amazing runners that i follow on instagram and i would say it's all of the other amateur runners that I follow on Instagram who are crushing it. Um, I, I can't even think of all the people who got their own sub threes this year that I follow on Instagram um, or who are close to getting them. Um, so I would definitely say the Instagram community itself is my inspiration. So you look at it like, all right, I know, and I do, I do something like this. So, so maybe, I'm, maybe I'm projecting here, but you kind of look at it like, all right, the people who motivate you the most, the ones who are like currently doing what your stretch goal is. Yeah. In a way? Yeah, for sure. Got it. All right. So what's your favorite uh, track or interval workout? <sighs> I really like 800s a lot. So I would say an 8x800 workout. Got it. All right. So if you're doing 8x8, what's your recovery like in terms of in terms of time of recovery and the type of recovery between, ses between sets? Um, so I usually will do a three-minute recovery. And I, it's all, whenever I do recoveries, they're slow jogs. Oh, okay. All right. So you do, you do, so it's basically a four, like a 400. Yeah. Yeah. It ends up being that. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, all right. If you could run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Oh, I would say. You knew I was going to ask this question. I Jessica. know. That's so hard. <laughs> Uh, I would say NYC Marathon. All right. And what was the best part about that race for you? I, all of it? I don't know. It was so amazing. Probably, But for sure, the crowds. There was never a moment where you were by yourself. And when you come, except on the bridges, but when you come off the bridges, you can hear them screaming for you. It's just, it's, you, it's amazing. It's so amazing. All right. And you mentioned a bunch of races a second ago, but what's the number one bucket list race for you? 
I'm sorry. What'd you say? What's the number one bucket list race for you? A bucket list race for me. I would say Berlin or London or to do Boston one more time when I decide I'm ready for it. <laughs> is it because they're marathon majors over Berlin and London or is it like the, the idea um, of the international travel? No. Yeah. I think it's more the international travel and I, I find that I only travel now for races. So it usually gets me going somewhere else. <laughs> There you go. All right. We got one more question. I'm sure you know what it is. You, you listen to the podcast, but before we get to it, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a great time too. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So who is your dream running partner? I think that everybody would say this after the Boston Marathon, but Des Linden for sure. It's funny. Yes. First of all, you're right. Everyone does say that. Second of all, after New York City, everyone says Shalene Flanagan. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know who's going to win the next World Marathon major, but I'm sure that will be the next person that everyone says. But, you know, I think you, she's an obvious person, if for no other reason, that she is so funny and yes. so open yeah. and has so much candor. And it's like you see her run, she seems like she's like a, like a machine because she's like so on pace and she has like – that like poker face, I guess, but yes. like, but off, but like outside of her running, look, the exact opposite. Yeah. And I just think her, her mental game is, I, I would just love to pick her brain about like, give me all of your, your tips and tricks and tools. And I think she'd be a great person to learn from. So I would love to run with her. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the rest of your racing in 2018 and good luck with the wedding. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a good one. All right. You too. Thank you, Jessica, for joining me here on the show. This was fantastic. I know I loved it. I hope you, the listener, loved it as well. And if you did, I'd love for you to share it on whatever social media platforms you have or shoot, even in person. Tell a friend. Uh, and if you uh, listen to Apple Podcasts, it would be great if you could rate and review the show if you haven't done so already. Those rating and reviews, they may seem superfluous, but they matter. So uh, I know it matters when we're trying to get sponsors for the show, and it also matters when different podcast platforms look to highlight certain shows. So if you like it, it would be great if you, great if you give me a review. Shoot, if you don't give me a review, hey, no harm, no foul. I totally understand. Either way, I hope you have a great day and happy running.